0: This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this HSBC Global Research LinkedIn Live, looking at disruptive technologies. I'm P.S. Butler, Head of Global Research Direct, connecting you to world-class research. I'm thrilled today to welcome our two speakers, Frank Lee, Head of Technology Research in Asia, and David Jost, Thematic Analyst for Disruptive Technologies. So let's start with a sort of quick overview Uh, from both our speakers. Uh, Davy, why don't we kick off with you? Can you give us a sort of quick intro into your disruptive technology framework?
1: Yeah, thank you, Piers. So in our HSBC disruptive framework, we have it in five different phases. So the first phase is called uh, the early disruption is when essentially where angel investors and venture capitalists get involved. Then we have something called the hype mania. The hype mania is when you get lots of media headlines and people say the technology can solve all the world's problems in one swoop. Then you have the backslash window, which is when the technology fails to materialize, and then people say, oh, the technology is completely dead. Then the really important stage you get up into is the penultimate one, which is the real application stage, which is when slowly the technology moves up the real application phase for listed companies and generates some kind of revenues. Then finally, the most important stages. The new normal. This is when the technology generates significant revenues for the companies and disrupts existing business models. And so, this framework helps us identify when the disruptive technology is ready for prime time.
0: Uh, Thank you, David. That's um, uh, really a a good overview, Frank. uh, Perhaps you can give us a sense of how crucial. Um, semiconductor chips are to the world of of technology uh, and how you keep pace in this fast changing environment.
2: Sure, Piers. I think semiconductors has really uh, been in the the focus and attention, especially this year, you know, with the talks of the shortages. Um, I I think if you look at why this is such an essential part is that semiconductors is basically the backbone for a lot of disruptive technologies. Uh, So we continue to see know, semiconductor basically in, in all applications. And more importantly, in a lot of the, the, the disruptive technologies that we're looking at, such as uh, the uh, 3G, such as sorry as the, the smartphones and even uh, electric vehicles and going forward AI, this is all gonna be powered by semiconductor chips. And so I think when you see that, that's uh, basically going to be a key focus, but uh, on you know, as an example is the content growth uh, in autos, for example, in, in the year 2000, only 18% of the car cost uh, was actually uh, you know, driven by semi-content. But as of 2020, it's now 40%. And then going forward, I think you're going to see this number continue to rise even more quickly, especially with the arrival of EVs. Um, but on the other hand, I also think uh, you know, why it's in the attention and, and focus now is the, cost, the concentration risk. Is quite high so we have basically a few companies that have such a huge market share right now uh in in the overall space so it shows you that while disruptive technology is is you know going forward is quite important it's also heavily dependent on on uh, on, uh semiconductor manufacturing uh
0: thank you frank quite a few questions coming through uh, and i guess the the the, the direction of or, or some of them is it relates to in fact the title of this LinkedIn, which is disruptive uh, there is a tendency to look, obviously, at technology developments as being positive, uh, but there are unintended consequences to disruptive technologies, which we ought to consider. Davy, would you like to have a crack at that one?
1: Yeah, absolutely, So, Disruptive technologies uh, have uh, good and bad effects, particularly from an ESG angle. For example, uh, new connectivity technologies like low-Earth orbit satellites can help to bridge the digital divide. By like giving low-cost internet access to rural or emerging markets, where, for example, traditional connectivity infrastructure might be too expensive. Or, for example, di- disruptive technologies can deliver uh, digital healthcare products uh, low cost remotely. But however, like you said, Piers, uh, there is um, ESG downsides to growing devices and data. For example, what about the erosion of personal privacy? And, you know, the question is, can this Pandora's box ever be closed again? And the other kind of side is, what about the constant questioning of whether new automation technologies can replace workers, but maybe you can have alternative income models.
0: Uh, and Frank, from, from your perspective, perhaps a point on, on resilience, which is that uh, there's been a lot written about shortages of semiconductor and the impact it's having. Uh, are we getting too reliant on on certain aspects of disruptive technology?
2: yeah i mean i think it's it's quite interesting um we talked about the uh think earlier about the semiconductor shortages that we're seeing today um but i think w- another interesting aspect of this is what's happening in terms of uh a lot of the the geopolitical side now with you know the uh the, you know, we've had the last 20 or 30 years of where the efficiencies have been squeezed out of the semiconductor to become make things a lot more efficient but now we're starting to see basically uh the us europe now dev- to want to develop their own semiconductor industry uh and in some ways you know i think what you're seeing now is that uh is going to lead to less efficiency uh in terms of semiconductor industry going forward and whether that is actually going to have a potential impact on on development of disrupt technology is going to be interesting to see you know for example you talked about uh, um you know, AI, you talked about autonomous vehicles, these are all gonna be, ha- be powered by high powered semiconductor chips. But if we're going into a world where it's gonna be less efficient and there is a bit more repet- repetitiveness in terms of building duplicate supply chains, you know, does that kind of slow down the, 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 the pace of uh, technology or disruptive technology? Uh, I, I think that's something that, you know, we'll, we'll have to continue to see whether that happens. Interesting.
0: Um, no uh, LinkedIn Live on disruptive technology could uh, happen without questions on blockchain. And I guess the question here is, are people too focused on uh, cryptocurrencies and missing the real point, which is blockchain and its impact on uh, on industry and, and how that could disrupt? Um, uh, Davi, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, absolutely, 100 percent, Pierre. So at the moment, There's a lot of talk and uh, headlines about cryptocurrencies. But from a sector-level point of view, uh, we believe blockchain for industry is also very interesting also. Uh, At the moment, for example, we would place blockchain technologies for industry in the real application stage of our framework. So this is where a number of companies are running trials. For example, in the shipping sector, they're using blockchain as part of the eliminating paper process, so which means they can streamline paperwork at ports and vessels. And thus, if you do that, if you digitize the paperwork to blockchain, you can potentially save 20% of shipping costs.
0: Uh, and Frank, anything you want to add from your side?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with uh, the crypto part of uh, cryptocurrency has been in the news quite a bit. Um, but again, this also kind of goes back to um, a big part of the engine that powers this is also tied into the semiconductor industry. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, all the chips, that's also one of the biggest demand drivers have been crypto has been driving the semiconductor shortage, right? So uh, so I think it highlights the importance of how pervasive, uh, you know, this, this uh, the, the semiconductor manufacturing is to all these future areas that we're talking about.
0: Uh, now here's one that uh, is close to my heart, and uh, where Dave and I have had many exchanges and conversations, and that's virtual reality. Uh, and uh, I would have expected, uh, with the pandemic, for virtual reality to perhaps uh, see see more of a growth, more of a development, to be to be more present. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, is virtual reality going to be a reality, Dave? Maybe.
1: That's a very good question, Pierre. So. As we've spoken over the years, uh, this generation of virtual reality has been around since 2012, right? So why isn't it mainstream? And one would, uh, you know, assume that pandemic stuck indoors would be an ideal time for the inflection point of virtual reality, but this has not happened yet. And why? Why not? So many factors include. So, for example, uh, the hardware price. So in about 2012, it was maybe in excess of 2,000 dollars to have a VR headset, but now it costs maybe uh about 300 dollars and so we expect this um the important things for the prices to fall even further and the other is the technology itself so you know Frank has talked about the silicon and the chips there is also things like screen technology for the screen technology to improve so that the digital world looks as real as the uh, um, as the real real world and also other things like uh, form factor of the devices remember these are things you're wearing in your head. So you want them to be light and comfortable. So when all these factors come together, we we expect an, an inflection point going forward. And in the next decade, we expect about annual sales to reach or total sales, cumulative sales, to reach about sixty to eighty million units worldwide.
0: Now, Frank, it's it's hard to conceive given the the prominence of TSMC, uh, but I was very struck by. Uh, a comment in the Warren Buffett uh, annual general meeting, which was that he put up these charts showing, these tables showing that the top 20 or 30 market caps in today's uh, market are, uh, none of them uh, were were in the top uh, 30, 20 years ago. Uh, You know, and so the point was, the major companies today are going to be disrupted and the major companies today are, uh, you know, very much in, in the technology space. Uh, how do you see the next 10 or 20, 30 years in terms of, of technology? Do you have any sort of, uh, ideas around that difficult question, but, <sighs> but, uh, you know, it's coming through.
2: No, that that's, actually an interesting question Piers. I I think, you know, I, I've seen, I think a phrase out there that talks about technology itself is not the disruptor, but. It's companies that are not customer centric that is a disruptor. So in the the case of, for example, if you look at Apple, right? Apple design products were much easier for users to use versus, you know, Windows or traditional handset makers. And that's what enabled to dominate the spaces both in PC and also now in smartphones, right? Um, I think we talked about VR earlier, just about how come it hasn't really taken off. Uh, And part of it is what has Davey has mentioned, you know, it's it's, uh, the technology, uh, the cost that has uh, continued to improve over time. But I think one thing that perhaps you know we're seeing is that what's the use case for it? At the end of the day, I think for technology to be disruptive, it's not just about oh it's cool, it's new technologies. You know whether it's going to be useful, right? And 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 that it's going to be practical. And so I think you know um, to your point about you know how the uh, how do we look for winners? Um, I think technology is one thing, but you also have to understand like, you know, what's, what's the use case for it. Is there a practicality to it? Right. So I think that's, uh, and, and there are things you can identify now and things that maybe I think, you know, you can't tell right now that only time will tell. Right. I mean, electric vehicles was something that, you know, was been around for a while, but it's only, uh, become the forefront because of Tesla. Right. It made it, they made it practical. Right, and and uh, and once it became practical, then I think the uh, the inflection point usually follows.
0: Just just in terms of uh, thinking, maybe further <coughs> out, ten or twenty years, are today's winners, you know, the sort of Amazons and the Facebooks. If history is any guide, uh it would say that they're not going to be the ones who are the largest companies in ten or twenty years time. What is likely to change?
1: I think uh, there was um, a business analyst called um, Chris Jimson And he called it the innovators dilemma. So the whole point is you have companies existing like Amazon, Google, Microsoft. And so the question is that once you become that large, your propensity to innovate becomes uh, less incentivized. So therefore what happens is new startups come who basically completely renovate or re-innovate the technology uh, stack and sort of disrupt the, the incumbents. So essentially, in 20 to 30 years' time, one would expect the history to repeat itself, like the past, to have completely new technology companies uh, existing and being the major players.
0: Davy, thank you very much. I think we're up to time. Uh, so Davy and Frank, thank you very much for joining us today on this LinkedIn Live on Disruptive Technologies. If you have any questions, do contact us at the following email address, askresearch at HSBC. Com. And don't forget to check in for our future LinkedIn Lives uh, on our key thematic uh, research. Many thanks. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.